world, and welcome to another episode of Here's a Guy. We hope everyone is having a very enjoyable holidays. Um, we're here, as always, and just uh, full of holiday holiday cheer. Um, and uh, from what we were showing off sli- slightly before this started, uh, some other stuff as well. <laughs> um, holiday cheer and holiday beer. That's right. Um, all three of us are drinking very high-quality beer, so um, I'm pretty optimistic about how this is going to go. Um Coming to you always from St. Louis, this is Alex, uh, one of the three hosts of this show. Um, So let's get to the other two. Coming to us live from Illinois, it's Cody. Cody, how's your Christmas season going? So far, so good. Um, Work has been insane, but finished up most of that today, so now I can actually kick back and start enjoying the holiday spirit a little bit. Yeah, and we have a lot of uh, family stuff coming up over the weekend. Um so we're looking forward to that, um, and maybe a little bit of um, you know relaxing and getting fucked up in between. You just never know. I'm I'm thinking that's going to happen at some point, yeah. <laughs> and also coming to us live from Indianapolis, it's Jack John. Jack John, how's your Christmas season going? It's been going good. It's it's something where it doesn't really feel like Christmas, uh, mostly because I never leave my house. But also, it hasn't snowed yet, which means I'm not in the grumpy holiday spirit just yet. But I'm sure, I'm sure there's still time before Christmas for me to get there. Yeah, I think uh, at least in our neck of the woods, it's going to be like uh, 60 degrees on Christmas. Yeah, it's going to be super yeah, warm. It's, which is just a bummer. I, I mean, nobody wants to... My least favorite thing about unseasonably warm days in winter is when like a bunch of bugs and shit will hatch out. And like nobody mm-hmm. wants that on Christmas. We don't need the Christmas bugs. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer Baham bugs uh, over regular bugs. Wow. You know, I, I was, I want to criticize you for that, but it's not like I have any Christmas puns <laughs> loaded up and ready to go, so it, it's it's as much my fault as anybody else's. Yeah, I, I checked the mail-in shorts today. It felt weird. Um, so yeah, Christmas, uh, you know, it's a fun time. Um, you know, a lot of traditions that go into it, you know, uh, uh, getting together with family, you know, making various treats and gift-giving as well. Um... And, you know, when you've been, uh, when you're old as shit, like the three of us are, and you've been alive for quite a long time, um, you've received a lot of gifts over the years. And, and I was kind of wondering, um, maybe something we could discuss. Um, we all have, when we think back, like greatest gifts that we've gotten, the things that really stand out, but something maybe we think about a little bit less is, um, what are, you know, what are the strangest gifts? Cause everybody's gotten weird ones, not necessarily bad, but just weird. Essentially the... You know, kind of like uh, uh, keeping in spirit with the guys that we talk about on this show. They're like gift equivalents of that, too. So I was curious, the two of you, what are some of the weirder gifts that you've gotten in your lifetime? So for mine, um, Alex, I'm sure you remember this one. It was the um, helium-filled shark balloons mm-hmm. that you could, like, had a motor attached and a remote control that you could, like, inflate and then fly around the room like a Zeppelin. That was weird. It was also fucking awesome. Incredibly fun. I still love that to those days. Uh, yeah, to this day, still one of my favorite things I've ever gotten. It was just so cool. Those were like, I don't remember what year that was, but those were like huge. I feel like maybe it was when we were both in college. Um, so I, I guess around like 2011 or 12, sometime like that. Like Something like that, yeah. They, they did not have that much in the way of longevity, but for the month or two of fun we got uh uh unmatched but yeah that was very strange going into our parents living room uh christmas morning and seeing a 
Yeah, just some sharks flying around on the ceiling. <laughs> For How me, I think my favorite... It's it's weird in that it's, it's unique. Uh, my sister and I were in a really huge prank war. And the year before, I, I got her socks, but I was an asshole. And I duct taped the box shut. And then I, like, in a nice lattice pattern, put a shit ton of zip ties over it. Oh, no, and, I, no. and I was like, all right, you, you can open this, but you, you can't use any tools. Um, and and I was bastard and made her, like, painfully go open this box. And the next year, uh, she and her boyfriend handmade essentially a giant bottle prison uh, that I still use to this day which uh, had a hundred uh, different nuts at the top sealing it shut, and I had to actually put in work to get my booze, which was painful. <laughs> and since then, we have uh, called off our, our prank war uh, due to uh, foreseen malice both, happening. Both of, your, both of your hands bleeding? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those, I was like, alright, you didn't let me use tools last time. Uh, enjoy taking off all of these washers and nuts without tools. I would have just been like Hulk smash. <laughs> Like a drunk piggy bank. Just licking up the whiskey and glass off the floor. Like, it still works. It's still getting me drunk. That is very much like a, a, a moment where you know you've both gone too far. Yeah. Um, and you have to set aside your differences. Um, before I, I mention mine, I will say, based on something you mentioned, isn't it weird? And it, it, it's kind of cliche to say, but it's true. Isn't it weird how when you get older, socks become, like, a good gift? to get yes. like i always ask for socks now yeah yeah i can always use socks because i don't know if either of you have this problem but half of every pair of socks i've ever bought disappears very quickly so i am constantly without like real good pairs of socks that i can keep together on a regular basis so the more socks the better as far as i'm concerned yeah. i know that the, the this is one of like the oldest comedy riffs in history but in all seriousness what the fuck does happen to all the other socks it, it's creepy how often it happens and they never turn up yeah I've, I've bought more socks than i've thrown away socks and yet the number of socks i own is always the same my uh my suspicion for a long time is that they have um along with this other discarded clothing items some kind of underground railroad system set up <laughs> Where they can escape captivity, but I mean, both both socks don't always make it. Sometimes only one and one is bold enough to take the journey. One in ten socks is a sleeper agent, and if you say the right code, it reactivates and it and it leaves your house. <laughs> and that, folks, was our uh, our first slavery <laughs> reference of our Christmas episode. That um, I went like you know Cold War agent and not uh, Underground Sock Railroad. I'm glad I took the high road there for once. Well, why? Look, What's wrong with the Underground Railroad, Jack? What didn't you like about that? That said, I mean, if you were tuning into, we are twelve episodes in. If you're if you're tuning into, here's a guy to hear some wholesome holiday cheer. Then that is as much on you as it is on us. Uh, and speaking, yeah, we of, are at be we are at best one for three wholesome holiday cheer. We've got a holiday. That's about it. Speaking of dark, um, my weirdest gift I ever got. Um, so for, for Cody and I, a, a highlight of um, our gift opening every single year is um, it's whenever um, – it always happens whenever we would go to um, our step-grandma's house as well as our grandfather, Dr. Turpin, when he was alive. Um, 
and that would be when we'd open our gifts from um, uh, uh, our beloved great aunt and uncle Bonnie and Ed, who are wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, they live in San Diego. Um, they are unusual people, and I mean that in an extremely complimentary way. They're a ton of fun, um, and they will always send the most fun gifts, and um, it's always something a little bit out there, and that's why we, we, as much as anything else, always look forward to finding out what did what did Bonnie and Ed send to us. <laughs> I think the time, they've sent us some incredible stuff, like they've sent us like ties made of wood, and <laughs> yep, and just all kinds of incredible stuff. Um but I think the time they topped themselves with me is um, they somehow acquired they, – they published a book of um, – back in the, the early 40s, Dr. Seuss, apparently the government put him to work um, drawing uh, war propaganda cartoons. And they have – somebody has published a book with all of these cartoons <laughs> and they sent me this book of just uh, Dr. Seuss war propaganda. Um which, you know, it's not quite as fun as it sounds because um, there are some, let's just say, not great portrayals of Japanese people. <laughs> in yeah. And that's why when, whenever, I don't even remember how long ago it was, things just blend together. Like, I, I, I think it was in 2020 at some point when there was some, one of the various conservative fervors about Dr. Seuss being canceled because a couple of his, like, lesser known books, um, they... They did. So I think they they stopped publishing new copies because there were some troublesome things in there. I kind of had to keep my mouth shut because I'm like, I've seen some way worse shit than he's done. Yeah. Than that. Um. So yeah, that was my weirdest gift. I still have it somewhere. Um, it's kind of a weird little historical relic, and um, I think perhaps a bit of a precursor to what the spirit of this <laughs> podcast was going to be. Um. So yeah, everybody out there, however you celebrate um, the holiday season, or if you celebrate at all, uh, we hope you have a wonderful time, and um, uh, yeah, maybe you get some unusual gifts that uh, become a conversation piece. Maybe uh, your own little book of, I don't know, did Shel Silverstein do any do any like Cold War stuff? I can't imagine he would have been on, on the McCarthy side of things, given I mean, everything he, else about he did him. Some, he did some stuff that was much dirtier than his mainstream yeah. work, but all of it was fantastic. Here, like, yeah. You've never heard, you've never heard uh, his poem "The Great Smoke Off." Definitely, yeah. definitely check that out. He got his just, he got his break drawing uh, artwork for Playboy. Yeah, hung out I'm with Doctor Hook. songs for Doctor Hook. Yeah, hung out with Doctor Hook all the time. The dude was awesome. And now imagining like a Cold War book from Shel Silverstein, like where the oceans end, and it's just really, really like subtle digs at Russia the entire time or the Soviet Union. <laughs> It's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more dour tone than he usually takes. I don't feel optimistic about college anymore. No. actually, after reading this. <laughs> so, uh, before we move on, um, I got a bit of a, a Christmas gift um, yesterday, in that. Uh, so, at the end of the last couple episodes, when I talk about um, the our uh, our Gmail account, uh, here's mailbox at gmail.com. Um, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago I saw a friend of the pod, Mason, and he uh, had told me that he was going to uh, email us something, and he uh, kept not doing it. Um, well, Merry Christmas to me, because the email finally came through, and I did want to... I've hyped it up enough. I did want to share with the two of you um, the bit of feedback we got from a friend of the podcast, Mason. He uh, has a story that he uh, tells us 
Flashback 2013. A young man is eager for an opportunity to see what he hopes is the next great cinematic masterpiece of his generation. A glimmer appears in the form of a movie, of a movie trailer. Magic, illusions, heists, star-studded cast. The potential is limitless. Jesse Eisenberg in his prime, accompanied by Woody Harrelson, Morgan Freeman, and Isla Fisher. Say no more. Now you see me must be seen. Oh no. A date has been established oh, a mere God. three weeks after the premiere. A friend says, what are you doing this weekend? The young man replies, going to see Now You See Me. It looks awesome. The friend, scorned as he was, that is the stupidest goddamn movie I've ever seen. It's a terrible piece of shit. <laughs> Disappointment befell the young man <laughs> to the point of full cancellation of the aforementioned movie date. To this day, he cannot bring himself to see what Jesse Eisenberg so desperately wanted to show him. That young man was me, friend of the pod, Mason. Thanks for ruining a movie I've never even watched. <laughs> P.S. I hope this serves a reminder of how much you hate the movie and subsequently pisses you off. P.P.S. <laughs> I have a perfectly valid explanation for why it took me two full episodes of the pod to send the email I promised. So, first of all, I'll respond to that. Yeah, I bet. Uh, second of all, I mainly just want to say you're welcome from uh, uh, sparing you from the uh, horrible, horrible abomination that was the 2013 film Now You See Me. And I will have to cut myself off there because, as the two of you know, and as I believe we've mentioned on the show before, if you get me started ranting about why I hate this movie, uh, the podcast, we, we will be at time by the time I get done with it. Yeah, no, it's it's like Juggernaut. Like, once he gets a little <laughs> bit of momentum, it's impossible to stop. Like, you can, short of knocking him unconscious, there is no way you can get him to stop screeching about how much he hates this movie. There was a time back when I was doing a 24-hour stream on Twitch, and Alex was hanging out with me in Discord. And just to fill time, Alex was like, I could go on a huge rant if you want. And I was like, sure, go ahead. And then about an hour later, I was like, okay, I see what you're talking about now. But for everyone who's never heard that, uh, what I want to do is, if we ever get big enough, to do like a watch-along. And just like have people come and listen to Alex be angry for a full like hour and 80 minutes, or like however long it is. I need to get myself an hour in... and eighty minutes. Did you just? I was going to say one hundred and eighty minutes, and I was like, "It's not a three-hour movie." And I, I, <laughs> an I hour lost and eighty minutes. An hour and eighty minutes. Um, I mean, that's probably accurate. That's how long are the episodes of our podcast? Are an hour and eighty minutes? Um, <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the short version is just for a premise that sounded cool. Like I'm usually pretty good at figuring out which movies I'm not going to like, and so I just avoid them. Um, but for a premise that seemed pretty cool, um, disappointing, disjointed, very forced plot, wasn't coherent, also very casually sexist movie, um, but if I go into that, I'm not going to stop. The most fucked up thing is I found out that apparently, uh, uh, one of the Ricky Morty guys, I think it was Dan Harmon, um, apparently on a podcast went on a rant about Now You See Me that was almost identical to mine. So apparently, See, myself and Dan Harmon of Ricky Morty fame um, share the sentiments about Now You See Me, which I will chalk up as a win. So I think, um, yeah, I, I think it was clear where he stood on that when the uh, the heist episode came out. There, <laughs> they did a very funny episode skewering heist movies. Um, and yeah, I think I could have. And don't get me wrong, I kind of like the heist genre. Like, if it's well done, like the first Ocean's Eleven remake and the original, both fine. Good movies. But if you get really lazy with it, like Now You See Me did, yeah, it just, it it falls completely flat. See, I also like the heist genre, which is part of what my disappointment was. I thought 
a heist featuring magicians was like even if it wasn't great, I thought it would be fun. But no, 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 no. no. Uh, There's people I know who say that that's their favorite movie, and having never seen the movie, it tells me everything I need to know about those people. What are their names and addresses? And what are they allergic to? <laughs> what's their What's if their work schedule and a list of their fears? If, uh, if there's a flaming bag on their uh, porch, do they put it out or do they stomp it out? I need to know this information. <laughs> They'll just have to figure it out. But, but you know, they won't have to worry about it. They reconsider their positive opinions of the 2013 <laughs> film, Now You See Me. Anyway, yeah. If, if God willing, someday we ever have a Patreon or anything like that, maybe a, a whole bonus episode will just be me going off on... On uh, on the 2013 film, and now you see me, my worst enemy. Well, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing that alone. I, I was gonna say, Cody right. and I are gonna be sick that week. <laughs> no, it's just gonna be gonna be a solo. We'll, we'll like rope Mitch or somebody into it. <laughs> Mitch, we want you to come back for a special April's episode. episode. <laughs> That's our April Fools' episode. Is we rope somebody into listening to Alex rant about this for an hour and a half, with the promise of being a special guest on the podcast, and it's just you. With an endless barrage of like list of complaints about the movie, I don't know what would be funnier if it's if it winds up being somebody who enjoyed the movie or somebody who's never seen the movie. I think the latter is actually even funnier. I think as long as they don't know what's coming, it's gonna be funny. I'm imagining you like inviting your parents on and not telling them <laughs> what it's gonna be, and then you're just going on a tirade, and your parents just quietly going, "Okay, <laughs> all right." Um, Call the doctor. <laughs> anyway, so uh, uh, thank you to a uh, friend of the pod, Mason, for uh, sharing that with us. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just take your word for it that you had a good reason, um, and won't ask for any any follow up on that. Um, <clears throat> but the whole reason we're here is not to talk about gifts or to talk about um, the 2013 film. Now you see me. <laughs> it's not to have coughing fits either. It's to talk about some guys. So, um, without any further ado, uh, let's do just that. Let's talk about some guys. Uh, Jack, do you want to want to help me out here? Yeah, I, I think I got it. It's um, uh, the guys. And uh, this is not specifically a Christmas themed episode, but you know, if it helps, like play some sleigh bells or some shit behind that. <laughs> <clears throat> now that said, as I mentioned right before we started, there will be a brief time because i'm up first and there's going to be a very brief uh christmas tie-in to mine um but you'll just have to wait and see what that is so i'm up first this week and um <clears throat> the guy i'm going to talk about is uh early united states uh statesman by the name of robert potter not a lot of people have heard of this guy and it's really a damn shame um because he is a gold mine it's interesting to me how we lionize early american statesmen um because not only are there moral questions involved with that a lot of them owned slaves um or had other kind of repugnant views just because it was forever ago but there's also just a lot of total weirdos that were around uh for the the early years of this nation robert yeah a lot of them were just a lot of them were just drunk psychos like yeah that's the the vibe i get from a lot of these people yeah um, and drunk psycho, I don't know about drunk, but psycho is a theme with Robert Potter. We're going to be revisiting, uh, several times. Oh no. 
<clears throat> so Robert Potter, he was never super high profile. He did uh, hold national office briefly. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But he was a pretty wild character. Uh, he was born in the year 1800 in rural North Carolina. His background differed from a lot of the other early statesmen who were typically from old money, highly educated, uh, fancy boys, dandies, if you will. Um, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Potter. Pops. Well, <laughs> that's, well, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that could be true. Potter. That's though, basically, that's basically the same thing as a dandy in old time parlance. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the kind of people that you could, you could envision walking around in a powdered wig is where we're going with this, um, in that time, as opposed to now, which nobody does, but sounds extremely fun. So Potter was from we the, could bring it back. We could bring it back. We could, nobody's stopping us. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from going into court with a powdered wig on. <laughs> Other than the, uh, the likely, uh, contempt that I would be held in. <laughs> I was going to say the bailiff, I think is stopping you from doing that. <laughs> So Potter, he was from the rural South, and he was a uh, public school educated, which I will note, um, one of the articles I'll, I'll mention later was a great resource on this. Through all the fucked up shit that Potter would wind up doing, he was always a champion of, uh, like a very early champion of public education. So that is pretty much the one nice thing that I can say about this guy. <laughs> um, he served six years as a midshipman in the Navy. Uh, after that, he uh, decided to go to law school. Um, he succeeded, and he got licensed as, a, as an attorney in North Carolina. Um, so although what I said earlier about the the kind of social and economic status of a lot of uh, uh, early statesmen was true, um, around this time in like the, the 1820s or so was when presenting yourself as a sort of salt-of-the-earth uh, kind of guy first became very trendy in U.S. politics. Potter, fittingly, was what we would call a Jacksonian. And in the interest of time, I won't go into the full spiel of what Jacksonianism was, um, but it was sort of like the proto-populism. It coalesced under Andrew Jackson, presented, you know, they believed in like a lot of uh, Thomas Jefferson's idea about decentralized banks and government, um, and presented, Jackson winning presidency was presented as like a victory for the common people against a sort of elitist, highly educated upper crust that traditionally held office. Now, the reason why there's a lot of fervor around Jackson these days is because, um, as we saw, um, his definition of common people did not extend to a lot of common people, namely uh, the uh, Native Americans who he uh, brutalized through the entirety of his presidency. But nonetheless, yeah, talk about a drunk, talk about a drunk psycho, Andrew Jackson. Absolutely, that Andrew Jackson would be a topic for this podcast if he was uh, less high profile. But I would encourage anyone to read about the story of his, the party at his original inauguration, because yeah. even though Andrew Jackson was a huge piece of shit, it is a great story. It, yeah, no, it's an insane. And you think about Andrew Jackson, it's fucking wild. So whatever we think of the Jacksonians in general, what can't be denied is that Robert Potter was a perfect fit. Um, he goes around, starts, you know, kind of building up his clout, giving speeches, um, gains enough of a following that in 1824, for the first time, he runs for the North Carolina House of Commons, which is like their state legislature. Um, it was a very contentious election against an incumbent named Jesse Bynum, who is a member of the Whig Party, um, which obviously hasn't existed for a long time, but was, was around during those days. The reason why it was so contentious, there are actually two reasons. One, it's been rumored um, there was some personal animosity between Potter and Bynum 
based around um, they were at a party and uh, Bynum declined to introduce Potter to a young lady that he wanted to talk to. The other reason why it was so contentious was this jurisdiction that they were running in. Um, and I apologize if you hear a bunch of rustling. My, my large cat, Freddy, is playing with some wrapping paper. So, um, yeah, that happened. I'll push through. Um, this, this jurisdiction that they were running in essentially just covered the town of Halifax, North Carolina. There are only about 40 to 50 voters in the entirety of this jurisdiction. And so every <laughs> vote mattered a lot, and um, influencing those voters also mattered a lot. Um, and what would happen was there would be a lot of bitterness, a lot of vitriol and violence that would occur, uh, at polls. The election is held, Bynum narrowly wins. So Potter, he's now faced with his first political defeat. And it's pretty important getting into politics to know how to handle, uh, your first loss. Potter, uh, responds by writing Bynum a letter challenging him to a duel to the death. Um, I mean, you can't do that anymore, but if you could... I don't know. I feel like we'd call the herd as far as politicians go a lot more easily. Well, Bynum, he did not accept um, and declared that Potter was, quote, not a gentleman, which is <laughs> a pretty weak, a pretty weak sauce attempted at a burn. But as we will see, that is a very accurate assessment. I mean, honestly, what was the gain from that? I just beat you in an election and now you yeah. want to shoot me. I'm going to say no. He, he kind of did hold all the cards in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um... The next election comes up. Um, the just have these elections very frequently. Uh, the next election is in 1825. Potter runs against Bynum again. This election proved to be even wilder and bloodier than the first one. With it being so easy to influence results, both sides resorted to voter intimidation, mainly enforced through bar fights. Oh my god. <laughs> enforced through bar fights. So that tells me that all of the voters were at the bar on polling day which is i think i think a tradition we need to bring back well i will add it wasn't even just polling day it was all it was a period of time leading up to polling day people were just God. getting accounts of time people were just getting drunk pulling guns and knives on each other all the time it was insane and uh, i mean this is a thing that in early america i mean seriously this kind of thing happened a lot like if you've ever seen gangs of new york that shit really happened on election day. Like they yeah. did that kind of shit a lot. I'm just imagining like that line of like people who are like the last second, like, Hey, please like vote for this Congressman. Like that you see at polling places. Except all of them are just punching you in the face as you walk in. It's like the tweets. Uh, if you're waiting in line to vote, stay in line to vote. And meanwhile, they're all just like getting, <laughs> getting hit with beer bottles. <laughs> they're like, are you, you sure right to get punched in the face? If you were here before closing time. So it also didn't all those uh, all those suffering bodily harm will be given one free roast chicken. <laughs> uh, it also doesn't help that the local newspaper, the Halifax Compiler, egged all of this on the entire time. I mean, this probably is the first interesting thing to ever happen uh, in the town of Halifax, North Carolina. Um, <clears throat> so what happens on election day? I guess. Um, it may, well, actually, don't know if it was election day or not, but this did culminate in a huge brawl. That got really, really bad. Potter and Bynum themselves were involved. Potter uh, gets stabbed, and by one account, gets stabbed all the way through with a blade. Py and um, Bynum suffers a serious head injury. And as a result of this, what the North Carolina House of Commons does, they just call off the election entirely and tell the people of Halifax, you're just going to have to go this next year without a representative. So things got so out of hand, they just shut it all down. 
Imagine being a town of such shitheads <laughs> that you don't even get to be represented politically. Like, they take your constitutional rights away because you are too dumb to use them properly. And keep in mind, this was like 50 years after when no taxation without representation was like the calling card of the colonies. Uh, they decided that things were so out of hand in Halifax, they were just going to have to make an exception for a year because they couldn't <laughs> yeah, have everyone Washington's getting drunk and been... stabbing each other all the time. Yeah, George Washington's been dead for like 10 years at this point, I think. Like, it was not that far removed from the revolution at all. So 1826 rolls around, Potom and Biner square off again. By this time, courts were involved and they ordered everyone pretty much to just have your shit together this time. We're watching you. Apparently they did. The election is held, and this time Potter wins. Um, so this puts Potter on uh, the right path of his political career. 1827, he marries a very well-to-do woman named Isabella Taylor. He gets re-elected in 1828 to the House of Commons, and he's starting to gain a lot of popularity. Um, he His like anti-bank populist speeches um, were really popular in North Carolina, and he was rightfully considered a rising star in politics. Um, and accordingly, in 1829, he is elected to the United States House of Representatives for North Carolina. So his life's gravy at this point. He's married to this great gal. They're starting a family. Um, you know, his trajectory seems like it was headed all the way up, potentially, <clears throat> you know, to he had enough momentum. Who knows how far it could have gone? Unfortunately, Potter makes a bit of a misstep in 1831 that winds up derailing things. See, here's a problem with Robert Potter. He had something of a nasty streak when it comes to his romantic life. We got a little bit of a hint Ugh. to that with uh, the suggestion of the, the beef with him and Bynum. But probably the bigger problem, he was hideously jealous when it came to Isabella. <clears throat> Isabella had two cousins that she was very close with who would visit their home frequently. One was a 55-year-old Methodist minister named Reverend Taylor. The other was a 17-year-old named Miller. <clears throat> Potter, somehow, and by somehow, I mean because he's a complete psycho, he becomes convinced that <laughs> Isabella was sleeping with both of them. And unfortunately... <laughs> I would have heard. Bob Potter was not going to take this likely fake transgression lying down. So, he's going to stand up. One night, uh, Reverend Taylor comes over, as he often did. I, I think it's implied Isabella wasn't home. Instead, he's greeted by Potter, who starts laying into him with these accusations. He then starts savagely beating the reverend for a bit. Oh, no. Finally, as uh, his final act, he pulls out his blade and he cuts the minister's dick off. <laughs> what? Wow. Potter then stops. I knew I should have been a rabbi. <laughs> Potter then stops the assault, gets Reverend Taylor put to, put to bed, and tells him uh, essentially that he could have killed him if he really wanted to. And he gives him an ultimatum that... Uh, if you don't go uh, telling the authorities what I did to you, I won't tell everybody that you don't have a dick anymore. And so, okay. I mean, first of all, the I could have killed you if I wanted to, but probably unnecessary because I feel like killing someone's way easier than cutting their dick off, probably. I, I feel like that's a lot less precision type work, and I don't know, in many cases, probably less resistance. But... Also, like, I feel like that's not a fair trade because once once you have cut my dick off, that's where my pride goes out the window. 
I'm going to make you pay for this however I can, because I have to live the rest of my life without a penis. So what good is that pride, really? It's one of those things where, again, he's really bad at negotiating. It's like, you don't realize, like, I, I no, I don't accept your demands. I'm just going to do the rational thing here. His, also, his why did he have access to his dick? His patented legislative approach of cut off dicks first and ask questions later. <laughs> so the, he, uh, the dick tax is, uh, is very unpopular, but we're going to make it work. So he castrates the Reverend Taylor, and then he sets... Uh, hang on, I, I got... I got one. The Boston D party. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so he castrates a Reverend Taylor and then he sets off after Miller. And the account of this, it's, he goes to where Miller lives and he finds him there. And I guess bides his time. The account of what he does to him, it's like a fucking game of Thrones scene. This is from the article I read, apparently quoted directly from the primary source. Um, he gets his chance when, um, Miller says, I need some help corralling this dog. And Potter goes to help him out. And how this plays out, they both got down to tie the dog. And while in the act, Mr. Potter, instead of putting the rope around the neck of the dog, put it around Miller and drew it around so hard as to choke him. And then lashed it around his legs and tied him hand and foot and castrated him completely. Jesus. Um, and so what winds up happening is both men say, to hell with the embarrassment, and they go straight to the police. Potter is thrown yeah. in jail the very next day. Um, he winds up getting convicted of the second assault on Miller. For whatever reason, the the uh, assault on Reverend Taylor never goes to trial. There's not a lot of info about that, but um, he there said, was no smoking gun. He uh, he yeah, it might have been one of those things where the Reverend Taylor just kind of didn't want to proceed with it, something like that. But who knows? But. <laughs> Um, well, we, we couldn't find any evidence. We couldn't find the dick. And, you know, maybe this guy just didn't have a dick and wanted to jump yeah. in on his, <laughs> his defense on class action suit here. His defense was, look, there's nothing to cut off there. He had a tiny dick. I, I miss. I miss. There's there no dick cutting. So Potter gets convicted. He's sentenced to six months in prison and a $1,000 fine, um, which sounds like not much. But in, in those days in North Carolina, probably was a decent little sentence that he got. Um, but you know, his life kind of goes to shit dessert, you know, he resigns from Congress, um, right before they ship him off to prison. Isabella, of course, divorces him. Um, the North Carolina house of commons actually makes what he did punishable by death, but, um, apparently they, they don't apply it retroactively because I, I don't know that that would actually even be allowed. And so, uh, Potter is spared, uh, being executed. <laughs> um, but they make sure that if, if he or anybody else was to do it again, that, the same cannot be said of them. And uh, Isabella's so, brother actually tries to kill Potter. Like, it makes an unsuccessful attempt on yeah, his life. I fucking would, too, probably. Yeah. So, this law that goes into effect, how specific are we yeah. talking? Like, is this, is, if you is cut just, somebody's dick off, they it's punishable by death? Is that the exact word on the book? I do not know. I have not seen it. And um, does that still hold today? Like, it's like, oh, you actually, sorry, this is a really uh, obscure rule. Now you're dead. I will say, I, I know that doesn't hold today because um, as death penalty litigation has played out, the only thing you can sentence someone to murder to, or sentence someone to death to in any state constitutionally is murder. Um, so um, maiming the penis, uh, no longer punishable by death anywhere. It's a symbolic murder. Yeah. 
You're you're killing them inside. It's a murder of your social <laughs> life. Yeah. Exactly. Now if you chop well, someone's they're dick, with my Saturdays. Now if you chop someone's dick off and they bleed to death, and yeah, maybe you maybe you got something there. So well, wait wait till our ne- wait till our next guy for more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Potter's life deservedly is in shambles, but if you think that that was enough to end his political career, you don't know Bob Potter. As we've seen time and time again, the American public is very willing to forgive a lot of misdeeds if they like your message enough. Apparently, that extends as far as slicing a minister's cock off. Because the audacious Potter launches a campaign to return to the North Carolina House of Commons from prison. More <laughs> impressively, he wins. He's out of, he is out of prison by this point, but he wins. And he serves a second, a second stint in the North Carolina House of Commons until 1835. So as crazy as America was, and, you know, the the whole Jacksonian ideal definitely plays into this. I wonder if that almost kind of helped him in a way with a lot of voters. (laughs) Like, I wonder if he put that on his campaign buttons, like, cock slaughter, Bob Potter, vote vote for me in 1824. He's he's cut dick, and you know he's cut throat, too. Vote Potter. (laughs) So he serves his second his second stint in the North Carolina House of Commons until uh, 1835. So probably like um, I don't know, like like three years or so. Why did he leave the second time? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in true Bob Potter fashion, he pulled a gun on a guy during a card game. And oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, and uh, I thought you were gonna say he like I thought you were gonna say he cut the speaker's dick off or something <laughs> like that. As far as we know, he He's never. A weird thing with dicks, doesn't he? As far as far as we know, uh, he never castrated again after being released from prison. I guess he was rehabilitated. <laughs> when he pulled the gun on the guy, did he aim it at his dick? This is very important for me. I actually don't know. I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, maybe he didn't leave it behind. Maybe he just evolved to using yeah. more, like, I... sophisticated methods. <laughs> now, not to victim blame, but why would you ever agree to play in a card game with Bob Potter? <laughs> The the thing the man who is most known for slicing people's dicks off. Why would you do that? Um, oh, you got a full house? Look what I got. Your dick, motherfucker. <laughs> so Potter gets in trouble again for pulling a gun on a guy during a card game, and at this point the North Carolina House of Commons says, Fuck this, and they just vote to expel him permanently. You know, that's honestly when you think of some of the shit that senators nowadays get up to behind closed doors, pulling a gun on somebody in a card game kind of small potatoes to get expelled for really yeah so he's expelled from the north carolina house of commons there's no way he can he can run for u.s congress and win again um so with his north carolina political career over potter who's still quite young at this point um only in his uh mid-30s he was in search of a place where someone like him could go and thrive someone where a complete psycho who pulls weapons on people all the time can go and really thrive well, thankfully, Texas. thankfully for Potter, you heard about this interesting growing region in the southwest United States called Texas. Oh, You're absolutely God. right, Cody. I knew it. Knew it. Ye fucking there is <clears throat> Texas is the Australia of America. It's just where we sent our craziest fuckers. <laughs> Literally founded by criminals. Been, and that lineage has been fermenting in sewage ever since then. And now we have what we have now. The glorious swamp of Texas. 
I will apologize very briefly to uh, our one listener who listens from Dallas. Um, Every episode, we have a new enemy in a new state, and I love it. Also, we do uh, to our family who uh, lives in uh, North Texas. Um, I'm sorry, but (laughs) everything we're about to say is true. Um, (laughs) Texas at this point was not a state yet. act like Texas doesn't argue against facts. So Texas isn't a state yet. Um, Potter arrives there at a time of great turmoil in the territory. Um, He gets involved in the military for a bit, and then again gets himself involved in politics. The state of Texas at this point is it's still under the control of Mexico, um, which um, during that period of time was under the rule of, um, and here's my Christmas tie-in, the rule of President Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. Oh. oh, God. Yeah, Damn that's it. yeah, okay. that sucks. Um, I hate you. So as cute as that joke is, Santa Ana was a <laughs> was a pretty terrible guy. He was a very authoritarian. He really was. He was a very authoritarian ruler, very unpopular in the in the territory of Texas, um, which was an area of great contention. Um, a lot of the natives who were there weren't particularly loyal to Santa Ana, um, and there had been a lot of American settlers moving in um, from different territories, and they certainly weren't a fan of Santa Ana. So clearly something was going to happen there. The only question was specifically what. And so when there was all this talk about um, what they're going to do, um, a lot of the people who had settled there, they organized the uh, what was called the Convention of 1836 to figure out what they were going to do and uh, put whatever the plan was into action. Really, the only debate was whether to demand that the Mexican government reinstall the 1824 constitution, which they, you know, they all actually liked pretty well, or just go ahead and uh, outright declare their independence and draft a constitution. So Potter, he had built up enough uh, clout in Texas that he gets invited uh, as a delegate to the convention. His opinion was that he very much favored going ahead and declaring independence and saying, uh, fuck the Mexican government. Uh, Again, and not, just for good measure, surprise Santa Ana's echo. Yeah. So while the convention is going on, what else is happening is that Santa Ana has actually stepped down from his position as the president of Mexico um, in order to personally lead the offensive in Texas to quell the unrest there. And uh, while the convention is going on, they famously show up and raid the Alamo. So the the commander in charge of the Alamo at that point, he writes a letter to the convention um, while trying to fight off Santa Ana's forces saying basically, Hey, we're completely fucked here. Could you maybe come help us? <laughs> now Look, we got our dicks up against the wall. We need help. And I, we only know of one man who can help. <laughs> um, but unfortunately the reason why people don't use letters for anything super urgent anymore is because of course they don't arrive instantly. So this letter arrives at the convention three days later, um, while the convention at this point, they've pretty well decided they're going to declare independence. Um, they're figuring out what their constitution is going to look like and writing it up. Um, by the time the letter arrives, Alamo's already fallen. However, the convention doesn't know that. So when the word reaches the delegates, Potter, he goes full Bob Potter. He says, no, we got to get the fuck down there and we got to take the Alamo and we got to fight these people off. So the guy who was basically in charge was a guy named Sam Houston. Um, and he takes a lot more measured approach. He says, no, it's really important we stay and finish this while we have the chance. However, you know, since you insist, I will go down there myself. Um, and, you know, 
Sam Houston was a really respected figure. I'll take command of things personally. Um, I'll take care of shit, and I will get it dealt with, but stay here and keep working on this. I I really, if I were him, I would have just sent Potter down there. Because <laughs> Sam Houston was actually a relatively important guy, and we all know what happened at the Alamo. Whereas Bob Potter was a rabid psycho <laughs> who, like, he just gets down there foaming at the mouth, like, I'm here to cut off dicks and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. I feel like history would have gone a lot smoother yeah. if they just sent him down there to get massacred. I'm just imagining it was like the Tasmanian devil, but with like a knife in each hand, and he's just like spinning around, cutting people at the dick. <laughs> the so, moil of Amarillo. <laughs> so Sam Houston gets there, um, sees that it's too late to save the Alamo. I mean, it's been ransacked. Um, he hears a story from the remaining people. Um, and so while it's too late to save the Alamo, he does... Um, immediately organize a mass evacuation of the surrounding areas. Um, all this while delegates at the convention, they do finish up their constitution so that Texas can go ahead and declare their independence and start um, governing themselves while this conflict is going on. So Potter's role in this, um, while Potter getting all geared up, nearly derailed the convention of 1836 entirely because, I mean, who knows had they gone down there you know, whether they would have been able to reconvene the way that they did. So Potter getting all geared up nearly derailed the convention of 1813, uh, 1836, which possibly could have altered history forever for absolutely nothing. Um, it did indirectly lead to numerous lives being saved by Sam Houston. So um, I guess you give him a little bit of credit for that. <laughs> Potter's efforts were apparently appreciated. Uh, his star in politics once again was on the rise he was named Secretary of the Navy for the interim Texas government and later served as a representative um, in the early Texas Congress from 1837 to 1841. Um, although, you know, life wasn't as great as it was before. He doesn't have Isabella anymore. Things are starting to look good for him again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of the eligible women kind of stayed away if they had fa male family members that they liked because it seems like bad things tended to happen there. I like you, but I like talking to my cousin just a little bit more, so I'm going to say no thank you. So Potter's trajectory is on the rise again. But despite the fact that Potter should know full well by now <laughs> that he needs to stay out of trouble to keep things on the right path, he just can't help himself. If you think he's going to stay clean, you don't know Potter. No, you really don't. You know, some guys are just born to <laughs> chop dicks off. So in 1842, what he does is he gets involved in the Regulator-Moderator War at East Texas. Sorry, this, this is still 1841. Um, the Regulator-Moderator War, for those who don't know, um, was essentially a gang war in this kind of tumultuous time in Texas that arose out of land disputes. Um, there were the regulators and there were the moderators, of course, and there are a lot of uh, big stories that arise out of that. I think a lot of um, Billy the Kid's story, if I'm not mistaken, um, came out yes. of this conflict. Billy the Kid was a regulator, I believe, and yeah. I gotta tell you, it still to this day cracks me up that one of the funniest... <laughs> Or one of the bloodiest turf wars in the history of the United States. And both sides were named after people whose job it is to be reasonable and keep yeah. things calm. I guess optics were like, important to early Texas gangs. I, 
I don't think there is a regulator or a moderator in Texas that fits the traditional definition, at least not at this time. Sure, and case in point, the kind of people who were getting involved were fucking Billy the Kid and Bob Potter, you know? Yeah. These were not reasonable people getting involved. Um, so Potter volunteers, and he joins the moderator side. Now, Potter, though, is about to realize that he's not in North Carolina anymore. He's in Texas. He is no longer the craziest guy around. So he can't get his oh, way no. simply by virtue of being crazy. There's other dick stabbers here. You gotta be careful. So not long after he gets involved in the conflict, still in 1841, um, he's only 41 years old at this point. Um, his political career has only lasted for less than two decades at this point. Um, he's inserted himself into the regulator moderator war. He goes to serve an arrest warrant on someone who's actually one of his neighbors at this point, um, a regulator and suspected murderer by the name of William Pinckney Rose. Rose, though, wasn't home, and Potter had to return empty-handed. Potter would meet Rose the next day, when Rose and a band of armed regulators surrounded his house. Fuck. Bob Potter manages to escape from the house and tries... He, he's essentially pinned down. There's not much he can do. And he does the only thing he can think of, which he tries to get away by jumping into the nearby lake um, and swimming <laughs> away from them. Um, either swimming I mean, or just yeah, hiding. Whatever. Something. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, this doesn't work, and he gets shot in the head when he resurfaced from the water. And so the dead body of Bob Potter sank down to the bottom. His rising star finally put out for good. Oh, no. <laughs> and so that was the end of Robert Potter. And it just goes to show you, you can perhaps get away with being a total fucking lunatic a bunch of times, but you can't get away with being a total fucking lunatic your whole life. And as for his legacy... Well, you can take away the man's dick, but you can't take the dick out of the man. <laughs> that is brilliant. Wait. Poetic stuff. Shakespearean, <laughs> if you will. By our standards, anyway. Um, as for Potter's legacy, um, there is a county in Texas named after him, Potter County, which is where Amarillo is. So uh, if we happen to have any listeners from Amarillo, Texas, congratulations. Your county is named after a guy who sliced a minister's dick off. As all counties should be. Um, so uh, that wraps up Robert Potter. Really quick, I do want to credit um, what one of my main sources was, uh, an article from several years ago on Gawker by Andy Cush, part of his series called Idiots of Yesteryear, this particular entry <laughs> called Remembering Robert Potter, the North Carolina Castrator. <laughs> that is Not perfect. a bad nickname. I, I still like Moyle of Amarillo. Um, oh man, we could we could go on for a while. I think I do recommend uh, reading the article. It mainly focuses on his time in North Carolina, um, but provides a great account of of how all that played out. Completely insane, forgotten story. Um, and to lead into my big question, I will go back to one fact which I passed over originally. Um, after um, the castration incident. The newspapers actually came up with a term that I'm very disappointed um, didn't survive the test of time. Um, they started referring to uh, uh, castrating people as being potterized. Oh. Oh, uh, God. Oh. And so my big question to the two of you, if the media was ever to uh, dub a similar word after your last name, so turpinized or groganized, what would that mean? Mm. 
So for me, uh, there's a couple different things I could do here. Um, for me, I think it would be doing something that you're not supposed to be intoxicated for and then doing it better <laughs> while intoxicated. <laughs> so like flying a plane or something. If I managed to like sully a plane down while obliterated drunk, I would have <laughs> terpenized it. Throwing a perfect game while uh, under the the control of substances is turpenizing. Yeah, yeah. Under the control yeah, move of o- move over, Doc Ellis. Yeah, throwing <laughs> throwing a no hitter after drinking seven Jack and Cokes that's turpenized. <laughs> yeah, there you go. If, if you're gonna groganize and and Cody's Cody's seen this in person, so you can vouch for it. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when I'm drunk and like I'm a good drunk and I know that I'm ready to be done for the night. Is I will just go to sleep wherever I am. It doesn't matter if I'm still at the party where I got hammered or if I'm like halfway home and I'm just like, you know what? This is where I'm going to sleep tonight. And people go, hey, dude, you, you can't fucking sleep here. Pookie famously tried to kick me out of his own house. And I was like, no, it's cool. I'm just sleeping in the corner. <laughs> uh, so groganizing is when you... Um, become the immovable rock in somebody else's house because you're uh, too drunk and want to sleep. So we yeah, may have... That's, that's fair. We may have, have touched on this before, I forget, but uh, Cody and I were both visiting our family over the weekend and we watched um, the greatest Christmas special of all time, A Muppet Family Christmas. Um, and there's always a line uh, There's always a line in that um, that makes us think of you. Um, Essentially, the premise is like uh, Fozzie's mom is hosting basically every Muppet and every Sesame Street character, as well as like some of the Fraggles. Um, and they're running out of room for people to sleep. And uh, she says, uh, we're running out of room. A couple of you are going to have to sleep uh, suspended on hangers on the wall. And we always think of you because if uh, if we were in that situation, you would absolutely be the person to sleep from a hanger on the wall. I, I, yeah. You know, I, I, can, I can make this work. I can figure it out. <clears throat> I'm art now. all right well uh that is the sadly forgotten story of robert potter um an an absolute insane person um so uh speaking of penis stuff um we've got we've got a we've got another uh i I said uh on the twitter account um this is gonna be our most phallic episode to date (laughs) Uh, we have another story with a lot of, of, of penis stuff going on. Um, and for that, without further ado, let's turn to Cody. Cody, who's your guy this week? So my guy this week is somebody who helps us answer the eternal question. So we're all getting older, yeah. right? We're all pushing yeah. 30 or over 30 in my case. Uh-huh. And everybody, when they get that old, they start to have kind of an existential moment where they they think about their place in the world and think, you know, how does one really make their mark on society? And people will tell you, oh, you know, stay in school, study hard, you'll be a a brilliant scientist or something, or or go into government and make some real systemic change, or even, you know, make art and change the cultural landscape. But sometimes all you need to make your mark on this world is a big old hog. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes just having a great big old dick, that'll do it for you. And, and that's the case with my guy this week, Jonah Falcon. Yeah, here it enters our protagonist, Jonah Falcon. <laughs> Which to me, like, also, like, just a top ten name. Like, that's that's a great name for a person who just also happens to have a huge. Like, it's a porn name. Yeah, it is. Is that um, his real birth name? I've never checked. I believe it is. Yes. Nice. Um. 
so Jonah Falcon, he was born in Brooklyn, New York, where all great dicks are born. Um, he, <laughs> that is a, that's a Kobe right there. Yeah. So in 1999, he finally gains promise, uh, prominence by claiming that he has the largest penis in the world. Now, one thing I found while researching this, which I did not know before, and something I think it is important to note, especially in light of some things that happened later, is that nobody has ever actually been allowed to verify this independently. Now, I kind of understand that because, like, I don't want people measuring my dick. I, I just, I don't want that experience at all. But, I mean, if you're going to, I mean, you got to go big or go home here. Like, you got to bring receipts <laughs> if you're if you're out here talking that kind of talk. So, Jonah Falcon, uh, he's born in Brooklyn. He has at times claimed, so, something to preface this. Jonah Falcon's an odd guy. Yeah. And I think that I think that going through life with a trouser snake of that size probably makes you a little bit weird. I mean, there's I mean, no I blood just, run into his brain, right? We're going to get there. Oh, don't you worry. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. Yeah, some, yeah. So, um, but he's a he's got big Corey Feldman energy is how I would put it. Like he not only kind of looks a little like Corey Feldman, but he he he's got a little bit of that in his personality too. He's he's just a really strange dude. Yeah, it's like permanent like, nervous weird energy. He's a very like kind of yeah. like weird like schlubby looking dude outside of this. Yeah, he he's got yeah his his weird nervous energy, kind of like Crispin Glover if you know who that is. Yeah, so, I could see that. He has made some fairly outlandish claims besides having uh, a, the biggest penis in the world. By the way, um, just for those of you wondering about specifics, it measures at flaccid 13.5 inches. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So. Flaccid, mind you. Yeah. Well, he guess has, we're not wearing yeah, shorts this summer. He has made some very interesting claims. Uh, he has at times claimed that his biological father was legendary porn star John Holmes. <laughs> Who was it's as good the, an explanation as guy. any, you know. Well, yeah. yeah, he was the first guy to make a career out of having a great big old dong. So you know, the lineage is there. He's a legacy, <laughs> if you will. But members of his family have said, that's fucking bullshit. There's no way. <laughs> and he has failed to produce any actual evidence of this at the same time. He claims to have documentation that says that. Nobody's ever seen it, though. So he claims that he could perform autofellatio at the age of 10. So, again, don't know if that's true or not, but if it was, I think that kind of warps your sense of reality. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it, it just, you know, something the rest of us have to work for. And... <laughs> I was in the gym two days a week for years. This fucker's doing it at 10. This is bullshit. <laughs> Um, so he went to, to grade school at East Harlem. He reports that by seventh grade, his penis had grown to 9.5 inches erect. Again, who's measuring your, I, maybe that's something other people did, but like for me, no, just, just not a thing I'm sitting around doing in seventh grade. It's just not not how I passed the time back then. Weird. Every time he comes to class, we're missing a lot of rulers, and I don't know <laughs> why. 
all the rulers in East Harlem are just fucking gone. <laughs> so after he graduated from high school, he uh, wanted to be an actor and a writer. He enrolled in a state college. Uh, he was a theater major. Did not do much. Wound up just kind of fucking around for the next seven years or so. He said he did very little except hang out at nightclubs. I guess his parents had money or something because, like, where he's getting the money to finance this lifestyle, I don't know. Um, he, at this point, realized he was bisexual. Uh, he is said to have had up to... So this, again, this is something he claims. Mm-hmm. So grain of salt here. He has said uh, he had up to 1,500 dates by the time he was 25 and 3,000 by age 29. Most of whom were females. That seems to be his his primary thing, but he likes a little variety, apparently. Good cheddar, I like it. But for the, the longest time, after 1999, after this claim came out, he just basically has been bumming around, like, coasting on having a giant dick, which, I, again, I didn't know was a thing that would get you as much. But, like, he travels to L.A. and Europe where he stays with friends and, and admirers, quote-unquote, is, you know, what I hear from the article. Um, he's accepted money for sex. He said, um, I've been offered $1,000 just to let someone suck it, and I'll say, why not? It's really about my ego. My ego is bigger than my sexuality. <laughs> Whatever Again, you say, man. <laughs> this guy just every guy is just cringing right now. This guy is getting paid a thousand dollars to get a blowjob. Yeah, what's what's great probably about that is if his dick's that long, you don't got to be near the weirdo who's sucking your dick. They're like two feet away. Yeah, yeah, you can do it from yeah, across the what, room. Yeah, yeah, that's what's great about that. <laughs> Look, this weirdo's fucking blowing me. I'm just over here in the corner. Not the getting $1,000 to get your dick sucked. (laughs) Um, Eventually, he tried to return to acting after he'd gotten relatively famous. He attended, um, you know, he went to auditions. He went to acting workshops and stuff. Um, He appeared on The Daily Show on 2010 um, in a segment where Samantha Bee attempted to convince him to enter the pornography industry. I do um, remember this bit, and it was re- it was very good from what I remember. Um, he, I remember that I, I don't know why I remember the direction of it was really good because it's like they were a little coy about what this was going to be at first, and the reveal was that they just had him walking in wearing this like these like very tight neon yellow bike shorts with just his huge hog immediately apparent, and I don't know <laughs> it just, it was just it was perfectly executed. So he refused, you know, Samantha B tried to get him to do porn and he refused. And the way, the way he phrased this, he said it would be just the easy way out, which fair enough. Also kudos for not using the phrase low hanging fruit, because I feel like in this situation that actually would be the low hanging fruit. That seems a little too easy. It's pretty impressive restraint. Yeah. Look, I'm 6'7", I'm 240. Playing professional sports would be way too easy for someone my size. I I, I want to be an I want to be an accountant, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and going through life like this. Now, a lot of guys are hearing this and thinking, "Oh, well, this dude just got it made." But I think, you know, upon doing some research, there are probably some pitfalls that go along with it too. Like, first of all, there are a significant number of women. I'm not going to say all. I'm not even necessarily going to say most, but just a not insignificant percentage of the female population 
you pull out a 13 inch dick <laughs> and they're just going to be like, no. Yeah. No. Your insurance is not paid up. I'm not going to yeah, take that you're, risk. You're too much of a liability. You're basically like the new yeah. Jack of the porn world. It's, it's not yeah. that you wouldn't entertain people. It's just that you're too dangerous to work with. And I'm, you know, even, even in his, I'm going to fall off that I'm scaffolding. Sure, even in his private life, I'm sure that, you know, because there's his, there's a lot of people. Private life. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, there it is. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was completely unintentional. Um, also, you've just got to live with the constant anxiety of having your balls crushed by your own dick. I think that's got to, you know, yeah, that's got to be a difficult thing to have to deal with. That does also, sound like that does sound like an existential hell of sorts. Yes. Yeah, it really to, does. To to, yeah. to perceive that your 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 penis and your balls are at war with each other constantly that sounds very it's mentally old, it sounds very mentally taxing it's the age-old theological question could god create a dick so big that it would crush his own balls <laughs> oh merry christmas everybody um so also you guys know like all the dudes listening out here you you know what i'm talking about in this next segment Imagine what junior high was like for this guy. Oh, oh no. God. Just think about that for a second. Poor guy. Like, you want to come up like, and write something on the board? No, thank you. Like the Yeah, the hot math teacher bends the right, wrong way, and suddenly the whole classroom just hears thump, ow, like he's bending over <laughs> his desk. Are you, and yeah, you're not hiding that. You get called that a- up to the... You get called up to the blackboard with that. You're just... You're screwed. You just... You gotta own it. Now, look, I told you no soda in my class. Give me that Pepsi bottle. <laughs> oh, went for the two liter today, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it just there, there's there are, I think, some drawbacks to, to having a dick this size. Um, another interesting wrinkle in his career. Yeah, I did do that one on purpose. Um, he hosts an hour long public access uh, cable show, Colin show. Devoted to the New York Yankees. Okay. On a uh, one of the Time Warner channels. Um, his show is relentlessly prank called by the Howard Stern show. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of a friendly rivalry because he's a, a frequent guest on Howard Stern's show. But of like, course they he just is. fuck with him all yeah. the time. He's like, you have to be. he's like made to be a Howard Stern guest. <laughs> and, of course, they've done documentaries on this guy. He d- has had some appearances as an extra on some different shows including one of my favorites the sopranos now i never realized this until doing this research so i'm gonna have to go like go back through the show and find jonah falcon yeah did uh did he get whacked uh not that i remember but (laughs) (laughs) oh that mobster brought his own baseball bat oh fuck that's his cock all right guys uh wide angle lens for this one wide angle lens (laughs) Um, so yeah, he's appeared in a couple of documentaries, um, on that daily show appearance, he stated that he can completely envelop a doorknob with his foreskin, which well, <laughs> my first, my first thought upon reading that was why what? would you do that? But then my second thought was why not? I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you, if you got it and you're bored and you're curious, sure. I mean, I guess, yeah, if, if I'm. If I've got a dick that big and I'm just bored, I'm going to figure out new ways to brag about how big my dick is. 
Oh, yeah, you, you'll be doing all kinds of fun stuff. It doubles as a toy, basically. You're out there <laughs> playing wiffle ball and, yeah, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Es- all right. Especially if you have foreskin, for God's sake. <laughs> today, yeah. uh, today, I'm going to try to start my car with my penis. Let's see if I can brag about this now. <laughs> so, but, I mean, he has been unemployed for long periods, just kind of bumming around off people. Um, he worked as an editor for Stooge Gaming for a while. You know, just stuff like that. He did also agree to donate his penis to the Icelandic Phallogical Museum, um, mm-hmm. the, the world's penis museum. Uh, I did not know such a thing existed. But, is that where uh, uh, Rasputin's fake penis is? I don't know. No, I think that's I think that's in a different museum somewhere. I think that's <laughs> in like a Russian Revolution museum. That is actually a thing that very much does still exist. Yeah. Although the experts, yes. the experts have agreed, I think, that it's actually a horse dick. Right, yeah. I, I was going to say, whenever Jonah Falcon does someday pass, they need to let it sit in, in and pickle for a little bit and finally do the <laughs> comparison that, that we all want, which is Jonah Falcon's cock versus Rasputin's cock. All, uh, all dicks will be uh, hung at half-mast that day. Because I've seen the pictures so, of Rasputin's preserved cock, and it looks like a forearm. Yeah, no, it's it looks like an elephant's trunk. <laughs> yeah. If I were him, I'd just have it bronzed and like put it in the town square. <laughs> It'd be a bronze shortage. <laughs> um, but I mean, so this—he sometimes lives with his mom, like between jobs, apparently. Um, so this apparently you can't coast on that for too long. Um, I mean, unless you're on a skateboard, then you probably could. But other than that, um, not a whole lot more to be said about Jonah Falcon's career. Um. I don't know. I maybe porn acting would have been the way to go, but I, I feel like there's a lot of potential uses for for such a penis. And to that, I, I pose my big question for the two of you. Yep. If you could have the world's biggest penis, like we'll 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 go ahead and keep it simple. We'll keep it at Jonah Falcon's thirteen and a half inches. If you could have a dick that big for a day, what would you do? What I'm gonna do. I'm going to go to every men's warehouse in the area and see if any of them will just outright kick me out. Like, you know, the conversation, if you've been to a men's warehouse, you have like the conversations with the usually like kind of smarmy male employees they have who are kind of trying to assess what kind of suit you need. Just, you know, I would love to make some of those guys uncomfortable um, and see if any of them either just kick me out of the store or just hit me. Because surely they will think it's a prank. They'll think it's a jackass bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to ask how many dudes can measure your inseam. I like that idea, actually. (laughs) It'll only be as a joke, not for anything else, though. Yeah. Uh Just a joke. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so Alex is sexually uh, harassing men's warehouse employees. Jack, what are you doing? I'm going to go in the exact opposite. I want to turn into, like... A like C level 1970s Marvel superhero. I'm gonna be Dick Man, and I'm gonna go uh, beat up uh, bad guys, ne'er do wells, and solve low level crime with my penis. I'm gonna rescue Timmy from a well. I'm gonna uh, well, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> Timmy's an adult in this story. I was gonna say if. <laughs> If Tim was a kid, I was going to say, please don't tell me that you're going to do it in the really obvious way, because I think you, you're you going to get in a lot of trouble. I can who's tell that you guy pla- Alex who's and I have both been arrested. Plank- who's that guy planking on that well? <laughs> Why is there a child screaming underneath? 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna save a cat from a tree. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all the things I can do to save humanity with my penis. See, your your Waterloo is gonna come though when a super villain comes along and ties a knot in it. <laughs> oh no, it's my arch enemy, the cold shower. Ah. <laughs> I actually have a uh, follow-up bonus question for the two of you. In a classic uh, Reddit who would win style um, scenario, who would win? A bloodlusted Robert Potter versus Jonah Falcon. He has to try and cut his dick off. Okay, so here's another thing that I forgot to mention. Jonah Falcon also said in an interview that when he gets hard, he gets lightheaded because of all the blood flow. So I feel oh. like Potter's got that. I feel like Potter's got that oh. down if he's got the right equipment because he just bleeds to death yeah. instantly. Yeah. But he's gonna. He also would need like an axe instead of a knife. Like it's an axe or a saw or something like that. That's what oh, I would be taking down a tree. That's what I was thinking. Like like he's gonna need like he may have to to farm out like uh, pay somebody to get on the other end of one of those big like saws that lumberjacks use. <laughs> It's like taking down the AC Walker from Star Wars. You got to get a couple guys and some rope, and you got to run around him. And <laughs> you got to knock him over. You got to cut off the circulation. <laughs> oh God! Essentially, how this is going to play out is Jonah Falcon's going to get very lightheaded, and his defense is going to be weak. On the other hand, Bob Potter might just get exhausted <laughs> trying to saw through this entire thing and give up at the end. He has a heart attack like John Henry after it- laying all that crap by him. <laughs> It's uh, it's the Simpsons uh, where Homer's the boxer, and the boxer gets so tired punching Homer in the face that he just collapses yeah. from exhaustion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good answers both. Good answers both. Well, I don't know. For me, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to do anything except I might streak at a professional sports event. For one thing, just to see if they have to do anything extra to blur it out. But also, like, I just want everyone in that stadium to know. Um, You're going to trip. You're going to fucking trip. Yeah. That's going to be the hardest thing. That, um, that'll well, be the hardest maybe. thing. Well, <laughs> maybe. Anyway. I hope Joe Buck's on commentary. I'd like to see what kind of... <laughs> like to see what he could come up with. You thought Green Bay was a, a disgusting act. Wait till you see <laughs> Cody's penis. <laughs> that is a disgusting act by that man's penis. <laughs> Well, apparently the wind's blowing from the south tonight based on the direction of our weather. Lo- oh, that's not a weather sock. Oh, God. It looks like a, a giant penis has been thrown onto the field, and it's got a man attached to it. My God, it appears that uh, the, the blimp flyover has gone horribly wrong and has landed on the field. <laughs> the XFL blimp, the, blimp has crashed do again. Do it in Milwaukee. Do it in Milwaukee. That's the weirdest sausage race for the winner you've ever seen. <laughs> Does anybody have any other penis riffs they, they need to get out before we move on to we'll the next We'll probably one? each come up with five more before the end of the show, but it'll be too late. So let's just move on before we create a monster. Um, God created a monster. And it's that penis. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, two, uh, two fascinating topics to begin this one. Um, Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, to find out how we can possibly wrap this particular show up, um, we turn now to Jack John. Jack, who is your guy this week? I 
I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I don't have anything dick related in my stories. I've since oh, we've been discussing well, it, I've gone through it. There's I, I there's nothing that I can pull. So if you can get a good dick joke in here, fucking kudos to you. If there were ever the there, people there to was, do it, it would there be there was us. nothing you could pull, huh? I, nothing you could pull. I can think of one, and I might make it before you guys can, just to get a groan out of somebody. Sure. All right. Uh, but my guy is going to be Richard Lawrence. And he's uh, going to kind of tie in almost a little closely to one of your guys, um, just on sake of just being around at the same time. But Richard Lawrence was born around 1800. Um, it's not really sure when. Uh, the thing was either 1800 or 1801. There's really no proper document that said when he was born. Uh, but he was born in England. His family ends up uh, immigrating to the United States when he was about 12. And they settle in uh, in Virginia, right near D.C. Uh, in the his adolescent years growing up, Richard was a normal kid. Uh, a lot of people um, in his life and his family were just like, hey, he was just a normal kid. Uh, nothing too like extraordinary about him. People said he was a relatively fine young boy, reserved in his manner, and industrious and of good moral habits. Basically just like a good fucking little twerp of a kid not doing anything. Okay. All of this starts to kind of um, go wrong when he picks his career. And unfortunately, uh, due to the time period, uh, it's going to cause a couple problems for him. But Richard ends up becoming a painter and starts painting houses. Okay. Uh, as it's turning out, though, um, as many uh, historians have ended up speculating, is that a lot of the toxic chemicals that were in painter in this time massively fucked him up. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's actually, like, a fairly prominent theory when, I mean, there was a period in which the U.S. got extremely violent, um, even to a bigger extent, in, like, the 60s and 70s. And a lot of people think that's because of the lead in all the paint and the gasoline. So this is not an unprecedented thing. Like, there were, you know, consequences we didn't know about when we right, used very... chemicals back then. Similar he, to at the time in really early American history, there's people who theorized that a lot of um, uh, the hysteria over witches and um, the things that happened from that were a result of uh, uh, fungus that grew on grain, um, and people just didn't realize. So, yeah, it's not if you if you buy into those theories, definitely not unprecedented that uh, um, you know toxic elements in the environment can make a uh, tons of people go completely insane. Yeah, so Richard ends up being just, unfortunately, just a circumstance of his time. Also, uh, just to tie it in, let's just call him Dick. Um, okay. Just to bring this all back around. His name <laughs> sure, is Richard. We'll call, him, we'll call him Dick for the rest of this fucking sure, episode. Sure, sure. That's, that's good enough. We'll take that. Yeah. So, so Dick, in uh, 1832, uh, it starts to kind of ramp up uh, all of the problems that he's having, basically without his knowing. Um, and it said that his behavior and mental stability started to just change drastically. Um he is kind of just acting really sporadic and chaotic, and he ends up abruptly announcing to his family that he's just going to fucking go back to England. And no one really knows what's up. He's just like, fuck this shit, fuck Virginia, I'm going back to England. Mm -hmm. um, he then returned a month later, um, telling his family that he's not going to go to England. England's too cold. Uh, okay. Sure, sure, thing, man. Whatever yeah. you say. <laughs> Um, after then, 
he 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 decides he wants to go back to England. He's he's kind of like his 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 mental state isn't there, and he's just kind of like wish washy about everything he's doing. He's like, ah, fuck it, I'm just gonna try to go back to England, and decides he wants to study landscape painting while he's there. So he still wants to be a painter and do more with that other than just painting people's houses and getting just yeah, incredibly. He's, he's jonesing for those fucking paint fumes by this point, yeah. I would imagine. He's just like, hey, you, you got any? You got any more of that paint? He's like a, a crack fumes looking for this paint. This... Yeah, the, the, he's essentially the proto guy who's addicted to whippets before whippets were really invented. <laughs> everyone, everyone in uh, in like the Dare programs growing up was like, don't, don't, don't sniff paint off paint. They were referencing Dick Lawrence. In in modern times, Dick Lawrence would be the guy at a party who hangs out in the garage the whole time, uh, uh, huffing out of a garbage bag. <laughs> hey, your your dad got that paint thinner left over. I, I wanna I wanna I wanna go do something with that. The guy who's not <laughs> quite done enough to get himself kicked out, but everyone is avoiding nonetheless. The guy he's trying to he's trying an experiment that uh, he theorizes if you huff both paint and paint thinner, it cancels cancels each other out. <laughs> The guy who swears he graduated high school with you, but no one knows who the fuck he is. <laughs> so, so Lord, Dick Lawrence uh, ends up saying, he's like, fuck it, I'm going, I'm going back to England. And he leaves, and he ends up uh, staying in Philadelphia for a little bit. Um, and then he comes back. He comes back again, uh, this time for good. But when his family's like, hey, what the fuck's all this English shit about? Uh, he tells his family um, that there's uh, anonymous people that are preventing him from traveling and leaving the country. And that he blames the U.S. government, uh, and that the government disapproved of his plans to return to England. So he's made okay. a giant step in going from just high and delusional to full-on conspiracy at this point. <laughs> okay, he's he's kind of your if um, if QAnon was around, he would he would be all for this at this point. He's he's skeptical of fucking everybody. Of course. Uh, while he was in Philly, he claimed that he read several stories about himself in the newspaper that were critical of his travel plans and of himself as a character. He thinks everyone is out to get him by this point. What What gave it away? Was it the headline, Insane Man Huffs Paint Fumes? It's a, it's a slow Tuesday, and this dude who yells about going back to England is just high as shit and covered in paint. Let's, <laughs> let's write about him today. <laughs> So he, he goes back to Washington. Uh, he also says that he was going to stay in Washington until he could afford to buy a ship and hire a captain that would ship him to England personally. So he's got big, <laughs> big grand plans. Yeah. He's, he's the junkie that he's going to make it clean and he's going to get out of this fucking town. And I keep, I keep wants... making reference that he's going to make it clean. He doesn't know he's high. It's just a product of his environment. He seems to, like, I don't know if those are super grandiose plans because it seems like his goal is to become cargo. <laughs> I hate this town. It's so washed up. Washed up. All this pain <laughs> makes me high as fuck. Oh, all right. A dick to remember. Yeah. <laughs> so a day to not remember for him. <laughs> so so Dick ends up quitting his painting job, um, and kind of goes in and out of working in general. He's going to end up going back to painting, but he's kind of just, like, just very erratic and not really making a lot of sense to anyone around him. Um, he was living with his brother-in-law at the time and his sister, um, and he claimed that he didn't need to work because he quit his job. He claimed he didn't need to work because the U.S. government owed him a large sum of money. And do you guys have any guess as to why he thinks the government owes him money? Well, I mean, 
he's crazy. That would be my <laughs> first guess. Um, but as far as his rationale for it, um, I don't know. The exposure to all the paint fumes? Fuck, I don't know. He never got his second COVID check. Um, Dick believed that he was owed a substantial amount of money from the U.S. government because he believed that he was Richard III, the King of England. Okay. <laughs> Who, uh, this is in, uh, the early 1800s, um, for those unfortunate, um, I hate to break this to you, Richard III died in 1485. I was gonna say, like... He was the My Kingdom for a Horse guy, I believe, was Richard III. So, yeah, also, this, it's been a while ago. Also, fun fact about Richard III, died to head trauma uh, on the battlefield. So maybe there's a maybe there's a link there. Uh, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> I, I, I looked it up just out of curiosity on how Richard died to see maybe we've got a, maybe we've got a, a spirit lingering. And Richard III was struck with the death blow from a halibird um, where it was believed that he um, had 11 wounds, eight of them to his skull. Ah, well, that's so just literally superfluous. That'll like, do it. Axe in the face to death. Maybe he's on to something. Maybe he really yeah. is descended from the monarchy, and maybe his problem's not that he's high as balls on lead paint fuse all the time. Maybe it's massive inbreeding. Yeah, I mean, or maybe it's all those halberd wounds to the skull. Maybe yeah. he really did die on that battlefield, and he's just been yeah. hanging in there for four hundred years. He was like the it's... one. He was like the one guy from royal blood who b just got too inbred, and they had to send him away. He was like that one Habsburg whose head was shaped like a boot, and they just <laughs> they just had to get rid of him. Or one of about fifteen different Kennedy children. Well, <laughs> he he's really testing the idea that in reincarnation you become yourself again in a new body. He still has all those fucking head wounds, and he's just trying to live out his new life. <laughs> um, but he believes that he's the king of England, and he believes that uh, as uh, an English monarch, he is owed. He owns two English estates. He believes that he is owed a huge amount of money and land. Um, so he's convinced that by not receiving the money, that President Andrew Jackson is to blame for this. That's sometimes two Andrew that's Jackson a fair references. enough assessment. Yes. Did this guy so ever? Sometimes. Sometimes guy... it really is Andrew Jackson's fault. This guy ever cross paths with Bob Potter? Can you Honestly, I was waiting. I was waiting for to like to see in your story because we're gonna kind of almost cross paths to see if there were any tangential names that like reference each other. And I was like, ah, maybe. Um, but as far as I can tell, not probably. Maybe uh, there's one instance where uh, we're gonna get to where Dick is gonna brush um, with uh, some higher people, and uh, spoiler, it's not gonna go well. Okay, as so you would imagine, we're, a we're high as hell man. We're going to do the first ever six degrees of here's a guy and see if we can connect <laughs> these two. Yes. Um, so he believes that due to Andrew Jackson's opposition of the second bank of the United States, that he's basically keeping Dick from getting all his money. Uh-huh. So his idea is, um, if Jackson's no longer in office, uh, Vice President at the time, Martin Van Buren, is definitely going to establish uh, the National Bank that is going to give Dick all of his money. Sure thing, man. If he had been paying so, attention, he would know that the Jacksonians, like Jackson and Van Buren, didn't believe in a central bank. If you weren't high all the fucking time, you would have known this. Yeah, you surely. sound just like five different teachers I've had. <laughs> and you would have known this if you fucking paid attention, Cody. If you weren't high all the time. Sorry, yeah. do I so, fail third grade again? So the right-hand man of the president clearly has vastly uh, different ideas on uh, centralized money. So he's basically his idea is, we need to get the fuck, of, we need to get Jackson the fuck out. So 
So what ends up happening is at this point, um, Dick starts to actually fully go crazy. Um, it said that his personality and his outward appearance become to ch uh, change. And by that, I mean he, once a normal dressed man, starts just going full out balls to the wall dressing. He starts to dress like he's the fucking king of England. Oh, now, <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm starting to like this guy. So he's just walking around dressed like Liberace all the time. <laughs> it said uh, Lawrence grew a mustache and began buying expensive and flamboyant clothing and just looking like a, a proper dickhead, honestly. Uh, it, it said that he changed outfits multiple times a day. And what I love here in, in the article that I was reading, he would stand in a doorway of his home for hours and gaze out into the streets and what I'm imagining is him just posted up on his porch like, people are going to fucking notice this jacket I'm wearing today, <laughs> and then they're going to know I'm the fucking king. Like, dude's buying, like, era, like, supreme of the era, and he's like, they're going to love this fit. They're going to fucking they're gonna love, love it. They're going to love this new Abercrombie tracksuit I got. <laughs> and that's the story of Dick Lawrence, the original hype beast. <laughs> he's... He's standing out line for ye old Yeezys. He's he's gonna be the first to wear them in the neighborhood. <laughs> this so, uh, this year with no buckles. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess neighborhood kids would like start to fucking tease him, and they would jokingly call him King Richard. And Richard, unfortunately, due to his mental state, didn't know that they were being little assholes, and was like, "They see it. They see it now." <laughs> um, but he was also, like I said, he was also kind of paranoid and hostile around this time. Unfortunately, he was violent towards his like family and siblings and people around him. Uh, he would um, perceive any like slights against him. He would think that everyone was out to get him or that they didn't like believe in his stature or anything about him. And he was just kind of a giant douche to everybody that was actually around him. So like a real king then. Yeah, yeah. He, he's living the gimmick. He's living the gimmick. So if you're wondering why this insane high man is our story, we come later. <laughs> that is a good question, what, actually. Which is, we come to about 1861. Um, and we are at the point now where, where Lawrence is just kind of a crazy person, but he's isolated. And what he ends up doing is he ends up starting to follow Andrew Jackson and, like, kind of, like, trailing him and seeing, like, what Andrew Jackson does. Oh, boy. Is this, like, a really, like, uh, really strange early taxi driver kind of situation? Um, what ends up happening is on Friday, January 3rd, I'm sorry, I misspoke. It was uh, 1831. And uh, Friday, January 30th, 1835... Um, this was the day that Lawrence was finally going to do something about all of his nervous energy and rage. And he was sitting in the paint shop where he, uh, worked and he was reading a book and laughing to himself. Lawrence suddenly got up, left the shop and stated, I'll be damned if I don't do it and left. <laughs> oh boy. Never. Have, if one of your friends says that and out of like apropos of nothing and walks out of the room. Follow them. Yes. Because yeah. something bad is going to happen. Follow that them. It's not something that somebody who is thinking rationally says. <laughs> and, and have some kind of implement to res forcibly restrain them also. Right. Yeah, because the more we get into this, the more it just sounds like, Alex, I think your comparison was right. This guy is Travis Bickle in a powdered wig, yeah. which would have been a way better way to end that movie. Yeah, I'd watch that. So it uh, it was a humid and damp day in in the D.C. area, and 
Jackson was attending the funeral of a representative from South Carolina, Warren R. Davis, at the U.S. Capitol at this time. And what Dick wanted to do is he wanted to ambush Jackson before he could get in to the funeral, kind of make it a two-in-one thing. Hey, Jackson's dead to have his funeral while we're here kind of thing. He's, he wanted just to be efficient as hell about it. Uh, unfortunately, he gets there late or doesn't have the angle that he wants on Jackson, so he ends up just waiting outside, of, like, behind a pillar. And is just, like, waiting for the funeral to end. And as everything opens up, Jackson walks out, and from about 13 uh, feet, Dick pulls out a gun and shoots at Andrew Jackson. Um, oh, boy. The gun goes off. It makes a noise. However, unfortunately, Dick is shooting blanks today. <laughs> oh, boy. That's good stuff, Jack. Yeah, that's, I knew you were going to be able to shoehorn it in there somehow. Some, somehow, yeah. that wound up being the best Dick joke of the entire episode. Congrats. <laughs> that, that's the one where I was like, I'm going to steal it from you guys. But so, so Dick pulls out a gun from 13 meters, and due to the dampness and the humidity, causes the gun to misfire. The gun fires, but the bullet does not leave the chamber. And he panics. And at this point, Andrew Jackson, who's kind of known for being a fine, I'll do this myself kind of guy, begins to walk towards Dick and is going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what he did. Like, yeah, yeah, you never, you never, whenever your assassination attempt has failed, you ideally don't like to see the, the target of your assassination attempt walking towards you. <laughs> Nothing yes. good is going to happen after that point. So... Like any good assassin, Dick has a backup plan. Uh-huh. Dick pulls out a second gun. <laughs> and from a much closer range, fires oh, Call an ambulance, gun. but not for me! <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, Dick is still shooting blanks. The oh. second gun misfires. God. Wow. And this guy's just not just thrown it. He could have just thrown it at him from that distance. <laughs> this guy's just not so, good at anything at all, is he? Right. There's a couple of really great paintings of the era of like Dick trying to shoot Jackson and Jackson just charging at him. And there's a gun <laughs> on the floor and he's got the second gun in his hand. And everyone's just like, ah, someone's going to die. And I don't think it's the guy getting shot at for some reason. Should, um, should we grab this guy or should we just. <laughs> Let the president... I, I don't know what the etiquette is here. Yeah. So, the second gun misfires, and at this point, um, Dick is unfortunately within Andrew Jackson's range, and Andrew Jackson, carrying a cane, then starts beating the shit out of Dick with a cane. <laughs> I mean, he did just try to shoot him twice, so... Yes. Yeah, Fair enough. Andrew Jackson yeah. was a really terrible guy, but I mean, you know, broken clocks right twice a day on this right. one. Uh, what ends up happening is Andrew Jackson isn't stopping beating the shit out of Dick Lawrence, and people have to restrain Andrew Jackson, the person who was attempted to be assassinated, not the guy who had two guns. <laughs> um, so obviously, um, Lawrence is arrested, and he is taken to prison. And uh, funny fact, um, in the crowd was actually Davy Crockett, um, who eventually had to wrestle Lawrence away from... Uh, Andrew Jackson. So we've got a little little crossover there. Mm -hmm. um, but Davey here we come. Crockett, who was at the Alamo? There we go. Yes, yep. there's our crossover. And I'll also say, uh, might not be the only time we mention uh, someone associated with Davy Crockett on this podcast, but more on that somewhere down the road. Uh, so we get to the trial of, of Dick Lawrence. 
uh, in April of 35. And uh, the prosecuting attorney was Francis Scott Key, uh, as a little extra fun fact. They're just all the, the famous wow. people here. Um, Francis Scott who, Key, uh, writer of the Star Spangled Banner, of course. Yep. Yes. Um, so just a who's who of uh, taking this insane pay tougher to, to justice. Um, <laughs> Lawrence, though, is is still Dick Lawrence, and um, he refused to recognize the legitimacy of the proceedings uh, because he's the fucking king of England. Um, well, of course. And he had famously he, said, it is for me, gentlemen... Yeah, That's about the point where Francis Scott Key, if he was half the lawyer, would have gone, clearly, this guy is just yoked out of his mind. <laughs> like, are we really going to put this guy on trial? This is clearly a crazy person. Yes. Um, so, uh, Lawrence ends up saying of the courtroom, uh, it is of me, gentlemen, to pass judgment on you, not you upon me. And after five minutes of deliberation, uh, the jury found Lawrence not guilty due to reasonable insanity. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he would live the rest of his life. He was, in, he was uh, sent to the newly opened government hospital for the insane, which would later become St. Elizabeth's Hospital, which was the first, uh, as far as I could tell, the first nationally recognized uh, hospital for the insane. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I do want to touch on this briefly. Um, I'll, I'll get... A little bit on my soapbox here. It's become like a like a pop culture trope um, about pleading insanity that that's a way to you know get around a charge. Um, I think a lot you know more people know this now, but um, the end result of successfully pleading insanity is not that you get to go home. Yes, <laughs> it's, it, you go you go to a psychiatric ward for the rest of your life. That is what happens, yes. and that is why like in my system, what we're taught is that. It is essentially unethical to plead someone to NGRI for really anything other than a murder because you are, if you succeed, you are damning your client to a, a lifetime of being confined just in some place other than a prison. So Also, yeah. you're going there, but you're not just going to be there. They're probably going to just, like, dope the shit out of you till you're comatose. Well, and back in these days... Um, and I'm not. I know that they they still I'm have sure problems. I'm sure there's shock therapy and shit in here. There's but, no real like detail on what they did to him while he was there. Yeah, just that he was there for the rest of his life, which is 61, which is why I misspoke. Yeah. Uh, he was there for about like 25 years. Yeah, these were not good places to be. They're not great places to be now, but they definitely weren't back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I mean, like it, before they before they even came up with the really barbaric shit like lobotomies and shock treatment, yeah. they just kind of threw you in a room and left you to rot. So yeah. things either would, way, things would get a lot worse deal. like through the 20th century. But I'm, I mean, even back then it's not, Yeah. but I mean, frankly for, for Dick Lawrence's sake, I mean, yeah. he was not faking any of this. This probably was right. The, the, he did need to be like in a yeah. hospital for the rest of his life. Yeah. That did someone who unfortunately of the time had, Definite undiagnosed mental health issues, which again, product of his time and the environment he was in, was completely just left alone and was a ticking time bomb of when that shit would pop off. Yeah. But uh, Dick Lawrence ends up getting to go down in history as the first person to attempt to assassinate a president. Unfortunately, he failed spectacularly, which leads me to my question for you guys. If you had to get your ass beat publicly by somebody famous who would it do who, who would it be and for bonus points uh andrew jackson beat the shit out of him with a cane what is that person beating you up with so for me i'm kind of torn in two directions here 
Because on one hand, I don't want to lose a bunch of face with this. So I want it to be somebody reasonable. So, like, my first instinct is, like, Hulk Hogan or something <laughs> like that. And he's just beating me with his fists or the table or whatever happens to be near. The funny option, though, this is the other part of me that just wants this to be as funny as possible. Gary Coleman. <laughs> and probably still with his hands, because that'd still be the funniest way to do it. Um, I'm going to go with Keanu Reeves, because if Keanu Reeves is beating the shit out of me, it will probably at least be for something that I deserve. Keanu Reeves being the righteous guy he is. Um, he could very, very easily beat my ass with his fists, but, um, you know, just for, just for, you know, the sake of flavored, um, I'm going to say, uh, he's going to beat my ass with like a commemorative bat, like that you would get at a ball game. Seems like that could be fun. You're going to do something unjust to his dog, and he's going to come to your house, take the bat off the wall, and beat the shit out of you. Now, I would never <laughs> fuck with Keanu Reeves' dog or anybody's dog, but he will find something, and he will be right about it. So that yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll at least be able to walk away saying, like, you know, I, you know justice was served. <laughs> Frankly, yeah. this hurts like hell, but justice was served. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go in... A slightly different direction. I'm gonna get my ass beat by surprisingly jacked Carrot Top. Okay. Uh-huh. And I want him to beat my ass, which is whatever he's got in his gag trunk. I want him to pun me to death. <laughs> so you're being beaten to death with like a large novelty hamburger helper hand. Yeah. And I, I put glasses on this saw. It's a seesaw. And then he just hits me in the face with it. Yeah. <laughs> he goes full Bob Potter and slices your dick off. Speaking of Bob Potter, I, I think I am going to write an alternative history where um, Robert Potter was present at the attempted assassination of Andrew Jackson. I mean, he, and he just, he just, his eyes just zero in. Like he has like the, the Terminator vision just right, right on his crotch. God, I want to cut this guy's dick off so bad. Now I'm imagining like Abraham Lincoln versus Jackson's. zombies, but like, yeah. but Potter versus just like an entire nation of people with cuttable dicks. Jackson, like Jackson, runs toward him. Potter's just yelling, "Go for the dick!" Actually, yeah, it could be like a series where I just insert Robert Potter into various moments in history. And the audience is left guessing who's going to lose their penis in this one. I, I want to see Potter cut off Hitler's dick, actually. Yeah. I, I want to see, like, uh, like a gritty, like, behind-the-scenes World War II thriller, and the end he just cuts off Hitler's <laughs> dick, and, and the Allied win. As fun so as it, that would be like that would be like Inglorious yeah, Bastard. Yes, yeah, exactly. Say, as, yes. as satisfying <laughs> as it was in Inglorious Bastard to see Hitler getting shot in the face, like, a hundred times in a row, getting his penis chopped off, I think would be even better. Instead of Nazi scalps, I need Nazi dicks. Ach, mein Spätzl! Actually, let's let's sick Dick Lawrence on him, too. Just a weird guy yeah. dressed the king, shooting him. Robert Potter comes in, chops his cock off. Jonah Falcon's there and starts, like, I don't know, just, like, slapping He's him in the head. lassoing people. Wailing on him with his dick, yeah. <laughs> Guys, I think we have the new Avengers. Well, uh... <laughs> Great topics, everybody. This was a very fun uh, episode, even if it was not not so much Christmassy as it was phallic. Um, yeah. But uh, 
we had a lot of fun, and uh, we hope uh, everybody out there has a uh, a lot of fun over the Christmas uh, holiday. And thank you very much for uh, uh, spending your time with us. Um, we will be back presumably next week for even more fun as we gear ourselves up for 2022. Who the hell knows what we're going to have in store this time? Um, just when I thought we couldn't have a more psycho episode than episode six, we may have topped ourselves. So yeah, um, you never know. I look forward to and regret the day we somehow get more dick jokes in an episode. I will do. The odds are that we will do it at some point. It's going to be tough, but um, we'll, we'll, that's going to be our New Year's resolution. Even more dick stuff. We need a dedicated fan to count the number of dick jokes we made in this episode. Yeah. Because we're not going to do it. No. no. I'm certainly not. Um, all right, let's go around the horn and everybody uh, hype their stuff. Cody, let's start with you. Where can the people find you? Find me on Twitter. I am at sonofgravy42069. And also, of course, weekly here on Here's a Guy. And soon we will have, uh, you can hear me on yet another episode of Belchcast, whenever the second uh, part of our two-parter drops. Absolutely. That'll be Christmas Eve. Nice. Oh, very nice. Um uh, Jack, where can the people find you? The people can find me on the aforementioned Belchcast. Uh, I drink beer and talk about video games uh, with uh, a previous guest on this show, Pookie. Mm-hmm. You can also find me playing video games on Twitch at Jack John Plays Games. Very nice. I will briefly mention um, our end of the crossover. Um, uh, the Here's a Guy episode featuring Pookie uh, has continued to be a, uh, a smash hit. Some of the most lessons we've had on any episode yet. And uh, so we very much thank everybody for tuning into that and all of our other episodes as well. Um, as for me, um, you can find me on Twitter at Turpin4Prez. That is uh, Turpin, the number four, P-R-E-Z. Make sure to follow the podcast account as well uh, at Here's a Guy Pod. Um, as we talked about in the opening segment, we have uh, a Gmail account as well. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Feel free to send us uh, comments, criticism, suggestion, heckling, whatever you want. Uh, if we like it enough, we will read it on the show. Um, we've gotten some great feedback in the past, so um, you know, feel free to jump on that bandwagon. So thanks again, everybody, uh, for listening to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. Hope we brought a little extra Christmas cheer to you with all the penis talk. Um <laughs> And uh, to wrap things up, uh, Cody, do you have a uh, tagline for us to go out on this week? I do. I do indeed. I don't know what I'm going to do if I ask you one of these days and you say no. Uh, I should have just done it then just to see what you would do. (laughs) Alex just breaks down. This is (laughs) fucking bullshit! Um, But... Uh, I love that you took your own headphones off to yell that. Yeah, and I actually didn't even move that far away from the mic, so the thing (laughs) I was trying to do didn't even work. Um, Anyway, that's not a concern for this week because Cody has a tagline, so uh, Cody, take us away. Good night, everybody, and take care of your dicks. That's right. Bye, daddies.